Uh, Judges chapter 19, of course, last week we enjoyed hearing from the teenagers. What an amazing time that was. Brother TJ did a fantastic job preaching and kind of stirred our hearts of how we can help the teenagers and how we can draw closer to the Lord. Um, Today we're going to continue on in Judges, uh, Judges 19. And, uh, of course, the title of the message is The Effects of Blurred Vision. The Effects of Blurred Vision. A couple weeks ago, my son and I were driving down to uh, Northern California to be with the teenagers at camp for a couple days and uh, just try to be an encouragement and see what all is going on there. And on the way down, we stopped to eat gas. Uh, We'd been driving in the early evening hours, uh, nor toward the late evening. And, you know, about that time in the middle of the summer, your windshield kind of fills up, you know. And so I got the squeegee out. And, of course, nowadays... You know, sometimes those squeegees aren't very helpful. But anyways, yesterday I was using one at a gas station, and the guy said, you only have one? I said, don't get your hopes up, you know. Uh, but anyways, I was scrubbing that off. I did, I did my side of the truck. That's the only side you need to do, the driver's side. And I go to put the squeegee back, and Brian says, hey, Dad, what about my side? And I thought, okay, so I get up there and I clean that off. And why? We wanted to clean off the windshield. You want a good view. Why? Because you want to drive safe. You want to know if there's a danger ahead and you want to see clearly. And blurred vision is never, never fun. And that's what's happening here in this chapter. We see a blurred vision. But before we get any farther, let's read some scripture, if we will. If you are physically able to, if you could stand to your feet this morning, we'll read the first few verses here of Judges 19. And uh, we'll go through much more of this chapter, but for sake of time, we'll get going. And it came to pass in those days when there was no king in Israel. Of course, there was a king. That king was God. But they had chosen not to follow him. That there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim. Now, keep in mind, this is not the same Levite from our story two weeks ago. This is not Jonathan, the grandson of Moses. This is another Levite from the same area. And the Bible says there, who took him a concubine out of Bethlehem, Judah. And his concubine played the whore against him and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four whole months. And her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again, and having a servant with him, and a couple of asses, and she brought him into her father's house. And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced, uh, to meet him, and his father-in-law, the damsel, retained him. Uh, damsel's father retained him, and he abode with him three days, so they did eat and drink and lodge there. Lord, we sure do love you. Thank you for loving us, and thank you for church once again. We get to come, be a part of, uh, Lord, your, your church, Lord, who you gave your life for. And, uh, Lord, you uh, continually to come and meet with us. We're so grateful for that. And we humbly try to worship you through our singing, through our giving, through our fellowship, and now through the preaching of your word. Lord, we desperately need you. We don't need a man. We don't need a Justin Lehman to tell us, speak to us. We need you to speak to us through your word. Lord, we need you to help us in the challenges of life, in our difficult culture we live in today. And the desperate need they have to hear about you. We need to know better. We need to be better equipped. We need to be challenged in our heart. And I pray you'll do just those things today. Be with the children, the teens upstairs, be with the nursery. May all be done that's glorifying to you. Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts. Be with those online who are tuning in. May they know they're appreciated and cared for and loved. And may you help minister to them too as well from afar. 
Lord, thank you so much for all you do for us. Lord, bless this time together. May you be glorified in all that's said and done. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. There's a story about a man who was going out of town to visit some relatives. It was back on a winding country road, and he was enjoying going around the corners and zipping on by. And he happened to look up and see a three-legged chicken keeping up with him on the road. He thought, wow, that's amazing. That's the fastest chicken I've ever seen. He was enamored for about a mile, and then the chicken just slipped off into a dirt road. A man screeched the brakes, backed up, and turned down with him. And he started following this chicken. He finally came to a house where there was a porch and an old couple sitting, and there was a dozen of these chickens all over the road, all over the field. And he got out, and he went up to the man, and he said, Are these your chickens? The man said, Yes, of course they are. The man said, These are the fastest chickens I've ever seen in my life. He says, How in the world did that happen? Where did they come from? The old man says, Well... It's like this. Our kids love chicken legs. And so we decided to get them up with a breed of more than one, two feet on a chicken. The guy says, wow. He says, that's impressive. I know they're fast, but how well do they taste? The old man looked at him and says, not rightly sure. We can never catch them. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's what we have in our story today. You say, chickens with three legs? No. We have a group of people that have created something in their mind for a certain purpose of worship, only to find out that it is out of their control and eventually going to destroy them from within. And we see a man last week, Micah, who was driven by selfish pleasures to create his God and put it in his own box with his own worship, with his own Levite, only to find Dan come through and leaving the will of God to chase after the selfish pleasures of Laish. And, of course, Laish is known for their worshiping of idols. And so they run there. And I was talking to Brother Skelly this week, our pastor, and he said he's been there multiple times. Um, And the gates of hell should not uh, uh, depart against it, the Bible says, is actually not too far away from this very temple that was built, this ledge, if you will, where Jesus said those things. And this is where Dan took Micah and uh, Micah's Levite and his shrines and his, his images and created their own worship. And, of course, we see many people lost lives for no reason. And now we see a totally different story of a painted picture of what is happening in Israel at this time, fully overcome with idolatry, doing things, as the Bible says, in their own eyes. There's no king in the land. Reminds me of a story in April 3rd, 1977. A horrible accident happened in the city of Tenerife on the Canary Islands. Most people don't even know where that is until the story happened. It's a little airport. But on that day, two 747s collided into each other and over 500 people lost their lives and thousands of people mourned. It was a very tragic thing. And it was a foggy day. They don't know much more about that, other than that the two pilots could not see one another. And for some inexplicable reason, the Dutch pilot who was taking off did not wait for clearance from the control tower and ended up smashing into this other plane. He thought he was doing the right thing, but evidently he was not. The other plane was in the way, and he was unable to avoid it, and hundreds of people were killed. But what's interesting about this story 
is every pilot is taught one very basic lesson at the opening uh, of their training. And that lesson is simply this. In air traffic control zone, you do not do what seems best in your eyes. You do what the control tower tells you to do. It's always the case, especially when visibility is bad. The reason is, of course, very simple. The controller knows things that you do not know. And he has better information and a better perspective to guide a pilot safely to its destination. And to act on your own is certain disaster. And this morning we see in our lives an important principle. When we try to do things in our own eyes, it brings certain destruction. But when we trust on the Heavenly Father, not only does He know what's best for us, and not only does He care for us, He actually knows what tomorrow holds for us. And it's a shame when very often, even in my life, I've chose to do things in my own eyes and what I thought was right. But at the end of the day, it did not turn out well, all because I failed to go to my Heavenly Father and ask for direction in my life. And here we have not just one man, not just one community. Here we have a whole nation affected by this very thing. I want to do what's right in my eyes, and I could care less what my God has to say about it. So this morning, we learned four things. But before we do, Judges 19.1 says there was no king in Israel. Uh, This story is very dark and very tragic. In fact, this story is worse than Abimelech, who was that pirate, if you will, who inserted himself as a judge and as a king, who was not a God-appointed. And it's far worse even than Jephthah, who had sacrificed his own daughter for a victory. Of course, she had to lose her life. This story is an episode of great shame. In fact, years later, Hosea writes about it in chapter 9, verse 9. They have deeply corrupted themselves as in the days of Gibeah. And that is where this story is found today. Therefore, he will remember their iniquity. He will visit their sins. O Israel, thou hast sinned from the days of Gibeah. So, as F.B. Meyer says, it will be sufficient to ponder these words. Every man did that which was right in his own eyes four times in the book and stop reading the chapter. But of course, God put this chapter in our Bibles for a reason. I want us to see a very commonality with our culture even today. I hope we'll not see some things that we should duplicate, but we'll see some things that we can learn from and therefore help us as we monitor and as we weave our way through and as we seek to minister and a degrading culture we find ourselves in today. So number one, if you're writing, we see the loose relationship. The loose relationship. The Bible says in verse one, there was a certain Levite sojourning on the side of Mount Ephraim. So here we have a man who is on the Mount of Ephraim. He maybe was drawn to Micah. I don't know. We don't know exactly. It could have been before Micah. We don't know exactly. But he's drawn to this area. He's out of the will of God, very much so. He's on an obscure post. He's not very well doing what he's been called to do. And while he's there, he even is swept into pagan culture because the Bible says he took him a concubine of Bethlehem Judah. So we see a seesawing relationship. We see this Levite hooks up with a concubine, if you will. A concubine is a legal mistress. She does not have the same status 
as a wife, if you will. Uh, she is there for bearing additional children, for contributing to the house, household estate, even uh, be there to help with the needs of the man. She is not, not looked at as a wife as we would look at today with that loving relationship. And, of course, we see many prominent men in Scripture even had one of these, and just because they did doesn't make it right. Because God said from the beginning that one man and one woman were to be one flesh forever. In fact, any family that went out of these bounds, it seemed like God's blessing was uh, kind of there, but it always ended in some sort of pain for the family. Genesis 2.24, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife. And they shall be one flesh. That was God's design. I didn't come up with that. God came up with that. That's how he created. That's how he wanted our culture to be. That's how he wanted even 2023 how he wanted it to be. One man and one woman. In fact, in Matthew 19, Jesus even reiterated this. He says, God hath joined together. Uh, one man, male and female. That's how God orchestrated it. That's even Jesus reiterated that in the New Testament. Each man is to be a one-woman man. First Timothy 3, 2, a bishop then must be blameless, a husband of one wife. We see in this particular passage, this Levite, who was supposed to be the moral compass of the nation, was supposed to be the spiritual leader, the one who has helped leading this country close to the Lord. Instead, he finds himself swept into pagan culture, doing what he thought was right. And he was so far from the truth. Can you imagine your spiritual leader's involved in that, how that would trickle down to the followers. Of course, you may say, well, I never had a good pastor in my life. It doesn't give you an excuse. You should still search out the scriptures on your own. But how desperately we need spiritual leaders in our life who is committed and has a love for God. May we have fathers in our homes who are committed and have a deep love for their Lord Jesus Christ. And so we see this morning... That this husband in verse 3 and this master in verse 27 was kind of had this woman with them. And uh, he is totally out of the will of God. He is swept into pagan culture. He's kind of uh, not wanting to do things God's way, which finds himself kind of in these, in these, and creating this mess, as we'll look at later. This mess keeps getting worse and worse. It's, trying, it's like trying to rub a stain out, only to make the stain larger and larger and larger. There's just, there's just a big problem here, and it stems from this man not doing exactly how God wanted him to do it. In fact, Paul relates to this in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. May we be separated unto God. May we let the gospel come in our life and to change our life. Not let culture change us, which will only change us for the worse. And so we see this hooking up with this harlot, and then we see this harlotry creates separation. So what happens in verse 2 is concubine does inevitably the same thing he did, if you will. And his concubine played the whore against him and went away from him unto her father's house to Bethlehem, Judah, and was there four months. So we don't know why this woman left, why this woman decided to do this. Uh, Josephus, the great Jewish historian, which was around that time, 
said that perhaps there was a lot of fighting, a lot of squabbles between the man and the woman. Uh, He probably truly didn't love her. Therefore, he just liked what she had to offer him, if you will. And it caused him to not really treat her as a loving husband should treat her. Now, we don't know. That's not in the Bible. That's just take it for what it's worth. But perhaps that could have happened. And we see that this woman moves on from this man. And uh, she's gone for four months. And after four months, this guy says, hey, I, I, want, I want my possession back, if you will. And, uh, of course, she probably fears how her husband or, or slash master would react to her unfaithfulness. So what does she do? She goes home to her father. The Bible says uh, that uh, she went to her father's house, to Bethlehem, Judah. And then we see kind of a seeking reconciliation here. We see in verse 3, and her husband arose and went after her to speak friendly unto her and to bring her again. Now, why would he do this? Did he truly love her? Well, probably not. He knows as a priest that he cannot be married uh, to a harlot. The Bible says in Leviticus 21.14, a widow or a divorced woman or profane or a harlot, these shall not he take. And so he knew as a priest he had to figure this out or else he could not do his priestly duties anymore. Now, how ironic is this? Here is a man who's out of God's will and not treating this woman right. And he only wants her back so he can have his property back and kind of have his marriage back to where he can actually do his priestly duties anymore. And this is just such a gross thing that shows us that some people have these certain things they want to do that's right, but then there's a lot of other things in life that's wrong and they feel like they're okay because they're doing some things right. Folks, may I just tell us today, we can't take the Bible and take certain paces of it and say we're living that so we're okay. The whole counsel of God was written for us, for you and me. So we have a man here who decides to go after his wife to speak friendly unto her and to bring her her again. And the Bible says in verse 3, And when the father of the damsel saw him, he rejoiced to meet him. The father-in-law says, Hey, we're so glad you're here. Come on in. Now why is this? Probably he's not so happy with the way he treated his daughter. It's more because the father is, knows that it's going to be a blight to him, to his name, uh, to his uh, 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 family, if you will. And he wants to make sure he is above reproach, if you will. He doesn't want to be looked at in a bad way. In fact, even in those days, uh, if you were unfaithful to your mate, you were supposed to be stoned to death. And so here we have a man, a father, who is trying to be kind to the Levite so that he can get him to take her back and reconciliation can be made. His name will still be fine. And, of course, his daughter won't die. And this Levite will be fine. And it's just kind of the screwed up mess. Well, the Bible goes on to say in verse 4, And his father-in-law, the damsel's father, retained him, and he abode with him three days. So they did eat and drink and lodge there. So he's trying to win back the Levi, if you will, and what better way to do that than to feed them and, and to take care of them and make them feel special. And after all, we see how this Levite's kind of staying there. And that goes on for seven days. And verse number five through seven, we see several days this happens. And uh, verse number eight, he arose early in the morning on the fifth day to depart. And the damsel's father said, comfort thine heart, I pray thee. And they tarried it until afternoon and they'd eat both of them. And so this man's ready to hit the road. Men of you have been here before. You're ready to hit the road. You know. And can we stay for lunch? Or can we stay for breakfast? I know how it goes. That's another couple hours. 
And then the whole way home, I'm going to be thinking we could already be three hours ahead of this, you know. And here they are, and, and Middle, Middle Eastern time, breakfast wasn't until noon, till, till, from 10 a.m. till noon. So staying for breakfast wasn't a quick bite to eat at 6.30. No, 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 no. You're not going to get done eating and, and, and doing all the things until after 1, maybe even 2 o'clock. And so that what, that's what happens here. And he stays, and by then, uh, the man rose to depart, he and his concubine and his servant, and his father-in-law, the damsel's father, said unto him, Behold, now the day draweth... Uh, 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 toward evening, I pray you tarry all night. Behold, the day groweth to an end. Lodge here, that thine heart may be merry, and tomorrow get you early on your way that you, thou mayest go home. And so it's getting to that point of day where the man says, we got to hit the road. If we don't hit the road, it's, it's going to get dangerous out. The bandits are going to come. The robbers are going to come. What are we going to do? So they keep on getting ready to go. And it's interesting here that the dad well, probably doesn't help the daughter deal with the problems she has and the reasons why she did what she did and doesn't help the Levite see the error of his ways and help patch up. No, everything's just all glossed over and good to go. And may I say there's times where it's very sensitive times in our life, but may I encourage us to always stand for truth and be willing to confront sin where it is, be willing to deal with things. And it's hard sometimes. It's not easy. You're not going to be popular for doing it. It's not going to be fun and rosy, but there's times where you need to take a stand for truth. Be willing to deal with things and to nurture your children and to train them up in the way they should go and say, hey, we're not going to do that. We're not going to keep glossing over. And by the way, children, teenagers, young adults, if you're here today, I've been where you've been. Some things you don't understand. Some things you don't like maybe about your home. Hey, your parents are your authority. And they're your God-given authority. So listen to them. Allow them to help you. Allow them to help train you and nurture them. Don't make their job of raising you so hard. Work together. And so we see the, 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 the loose Levite, if you will, which brings us to number two, the lack of hospitality. The lack of hospitality. And we see that common courtesy is just disappearing. As society degenerates, hospitality has gone out the window. So what do they do? Well, the man and his concubine and servant, they take off. They start going and we see hospitality is denied at the first place, verse 10. But the man would not tarry that night, but he rose and departed and came over against Jebus, which is at Jerusalem. So he comes to Jerusalem, and there were with him two asses saddled. His concubine also was with him. And, and we see that they came to, to Jebus, and the, the day was far spent. The servant said to his master, Come, I pray thee, and let us turn into a city of Jebusites and lodge in it. So keep in mind that in these days, you did not want to travel at night. There's bandits. There's people that were thieves were going to take your stuff. And it was not good. You didn't have headlights, right? You didn't have flashlights. And you didn't want to travel at night. So just because you got to a city didn't mean you got lodging. In those days, there was no hotels. There was no Motel 6 that would keep the light on. There was no Hilton. There was no Airbnbs. I know, it's crazy, right? There was no place to go. You were, you were, you were dependent upon... People's homes. And people had to invite you. And by the way, in those days, that was, that was a high honor to do that, to host people. In fact, as we'll see later in Leviticus, uh, that God commanded it in chapter 19, verse 33. If a stranger sojourn with thee in your land, ye shall not vex him. 
But the stranger that dwelleth with you shall be unto you as one born among you, and thou shalt love him as thyself, for ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And so we see there's a distinction here. And in verse 12, the Bible says, His master said unto him, We will not turn aside into the city of a stranger. So they get to Jerusalem, and just because you got to a city doesn't mean you wanted to stay there. The cities were known for things. And Jerusalem was a city that wasn't necessarily known for the very hospitable and great places to stay. Uh, now, we look at Jerusalem now and say, well, it's the capital of Israel. I mean, you know, David was there. But at that point, it wasn't decanonized yet, if that makes sense. There were still a lot of Canaanites. There was a lot of people there who weren't good and weren't pleasing to the Lord. And so uh, the Levite says, no, we're not stopping here. We're going to go a little farther to Gibeah. And so they go a little farther, just a couple miles, and it's only a few miles. But when you're walking or riding a donkey, it takes a long time to get there. And the sun is starting to set, and they get to the city of Gibeah, and nobody is taking them in. And we see here no hospitality, even in the city where the Levite knew that was a place where they'd be accepted. And it just brings me to know today that we may not, may we not forget about hospitality ourselves. Could you imagine being here in your home, you got your jammies on, slippers on, you know, you got the show on, you're, you're, you're calming the kids down, they're finally asleep when the doorbell rings. Ding dong! Who is here? What's the first thing? Who is here at this late of night? Could you imagine opening the door and some stranger appears and says, Hey, can I sleep in your house tonight? Why not? Come on in. We got the living room here. Let me make, in fact, you can take my bed tonight. I'll sleep on the recliner. No, no, I insist. The Bible says treat them as your children. By the way, here's Joey's room. Come sleep with You'd think that's crazy. We would never do that. Different culture, different time. I'm not expecting nor preaching because I wouldn't want to live this, you know. Allowing some stranger in your house at 11 o'clock at night. But I am saying we've lost a little bit of hospitality in our world today, have we not? We've become so busy. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 11, 13, 2, Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares, distributing to the necessity of the saints, given to hospitality, Romans 12 tells us. May we be a people that's still hospitable, though. May we still take the time to talk to that person at the gas pump. Hey, we'd love to have you come visit our church sometime. May we not always try to avoid people. May we still try to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to have someone come in at 1130 at night, Pastor Justin didn't tell you to do that, all right? But may we be hospitable. May we still have that ability to love on people. And so what happens? The man gets to Gibeah in verse 16. And as he's there waiting, no one's taking him in. He decides, well, maybe we'll just pitch camp here in, the, in, the, in the, um, the town square. At least we're in the city gates. We're going to be okay. At least he, we'll, be, we'll be fine. And the Bible says there came an old man from his work out of the field at even, which was also of Mount Ephraim. So while he's there, as they're getting ready to set up camp, a man comes through, and he's from Mount Ephraim. Ah, we're from the same area. For me, it's if I see someone with an Indiana hat on. Or an IU t-shirt. Hey, go Hoosiers! I don't know you from Adam, but you're my friend now. You know Why? Because we have Indiana in common. And some of you have 
some other teens in common that I will not associate with. You know, no, I'm and here we have a group of people, uh, this man who sees this people, and he finds out he's from Mount Ephraim, and he says, hey. He says, oh, I, I, I'm from there. And then the Levite gets smart. He has a little tool in the back of his pocket. He says, I am going to the house of the Lord. Now, was he? I have no idea. This Levite is so far away from, from, from how a priest should be. But he says, I'm going to the house of the Lord. And this man from Ephraim says, oh, truly, I can't leave you out here. And this is, there's a lot of wicked things that happen at night. So he brought him into his home. And uh, because of the Levite. And while he's there, the man says, hey, provisions aren't an issue. I have my own bedding. I have my own food for the horses. I have my own hay. I have my own uh, 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 bed. All I need is a place to lodge. And so the man from Ephraim says, no, no, come on in. Peace be with thee. You don't have to cover your food. You don't have to cover your, your I'll take care of the animals. You just come. You're a priest. Uh, you're a Levite. I will cater. To, everything's cared for. And so the man comes in with his concubine and his servant. And the Bible says in verse 17 uh, 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 through, through, through 19, this conversation goes on. And then verse number 20, peace be with thee. And, and we see he says something, though. He says, only lodge not in the street. He says, no, 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 no. You need to come stay with me. You cannot stay in the street. Now, what's so bad about the street? Now, I don't, I don't want to stay the night in the street, but what's so bad about it? I mean, this is, this is Israel. Uh, this is Gibeah. I mean, this is a place that uh, talks to walk, speaks to walks. I mean, in the Levite's mind, this is a safe city. He'll be safe there. Um, but we see it's oddly comparable to Genesis 19.2. When Lot tells the angels that come, do not lodge in the street all night. Don't do it. There is some very shady stuff happening. And so, we see number three, the lustful attack. Lustful attack. The Bible says in verse 22, a brazen demand. We see as they're there, they're eating, they're making themselves comfortable, they're, they're entertaining the guests, they're putting some sandwiches together, getting some milk out maybe the fridge, or getting some bread together. Hey, we're going to feed you, we're going to take care of you. They're getting ready for bed. The Bible says there, they're certain sons of Belial. And the, the fact that the Belial is a capital B is even worse, one commentary said. And it literally means sons of worthlessness. So obviously this is the reason why the old man didn't want this family to, to stay the night in the street. And these sons of Belial come and they start uh, yelling and they says, Hey, bring, bring the men out that came into the house that we may know him. Not the word know is not knowledge. It's, it's, it's in a different sort of way. Um, and so we see uh, the bargaining attempt in verse 23. And the man, the master of the house, went out unto them and said unto him, Nay, my brethren, nay, I pray you, do not so wickedly. And this man knew what these men had in mind. And he says, do not do this folly. Now the word folly here is used four or five other times in Scripture. And it's tied to Achan, if you remember how he stole from the house of God. And of course, the earth split. It's used other times in Deuteronomy and, and Genesis, of course, as well. Uh, folly was a nice way of saying wicked things. It's almost like the writer here doesn't even want to go into detail what these men want to do. 
course, we know what they want to do. It's very obvious. They want that man to come out so they can get to know him, which is not a good thing. You see, homosexual, homosexual acts, if you will. And so this old man says in verse 24, Behold, here is my daughter, a maiden, and his concubine. Them I will bring out now, and humble ye them, and do with them what seemeth good unto you. But this man I will not do such a vile thing. So here we have this old man says, Hey, no, 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 no. You're not going to take this Levite, this priest, this man. That's a wicked thing. I'll, I'll, I'll give you my daughter. Now, now we sit there and say, What a vile thing. Why would you do that? But what we see here happening is the old man thought, well, it's still wrong, but it's less of a wrong than giving up this priest. But what does the Bible say in Romans 3, verse 8? Of two sins, we must choose neither, nor ever do evil that good may come. What Paul was saying here is just, if you have two, decision, two, two options and they're both evil, don't choose the lesser one. Just do right instead, you know. A lesser evil isn't better than a worse evil. Just, just don't do it. Instead, choose to do right. And instead, this older gentleman should have took it a stand and says, No, I'm going to trust God here, but I'm not going to allow anything here to happen. And we see a barbaric act. Of course, we see Proverbs 28, 9 verse 18, uh, Before our eyes, where there is no vision or no word of God, the people perish. And so we're seeing that happen here. No word of God. No man of God to lead the way. No, no man of God to take a stand. And because of that, this poor innocent woman gets cast to the curb, if you will. And the Bible says the men would not hearken to him, so the man took his concubine, which Joseph has said was very beautiful. And perhaps maybe he was hoping that it would distract these men, if you will. And we see a brutal attack. They abused her all the night long. What a sad story. And then we see this woman comes back, pretty much dead. And what an awful, awful story. won't get into any more details. But I wanted to say all that to say this. Here we have a city that's no better than Sodom. Of course, we know Sodom was destroyed by fire. We see this city is destroyed in the next chapter because of their wickedness. But what's different between Sodom and this city is Gibeah knew better. Gibeah had been given the covenants of Abraham and Moses. Gibeah had been given the law and the prophets. Gibeah had been given the tabernacle, the exodus from Egypt. Gibeah had even been given the Savior judges, if you will. Israel had been given all this, and yet still they became worse than Sodom. Don't we find ourselves in that very same culture today? A country that was founded on the wonderful constitution, based on the word of God. A, company, a country that was, 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 was founded on God and God we trust has now found herself today in a lot of the same similarities as this community here. And we see what, what an awful, awful thing. God's people proved to be no better than the Canaanites and the pagan nations. In fact, they become just like Sodom. Now it's interesting here, I think, to note not every person in Gibeah was the, was the sons of Belial. Okay? And I think that's important. And just because there's wickedness in our country doesn't mean there's still a lot of good left. Sometimes we forget about that, do we not? We focus on all the negative from the news, and we think, oh, well, why even keep going? No, 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 no. The darker the night, the brighter the light. Where did sin did abound? There did grace much more abound. 
God still has a great plan for our life. And God still wants to use a righteous remnant to exalt a nation. And that sin is a reproach, but righteousness can exalt. And may we be a people of righteousness and say no to wickedness. So that brings us, number four, the lesson or the letter of dismemberment. And just a sad story that next morning, the Lord rose up in verse 27, opened the doors of the house, only to find the woman there. Cold, been uh, abused, if you will, been left for dead. And what does this man do? He just passes by and tries to not even look and act like even anything happened. May I say today, may we not just gloss over the sin in our community. May we be willing to be like Ephesians 6.13, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand. May we not just say, oh, well, the world's evil, so we'll just kind of do what we do. No, may we put on the full armor of God on a daily basis and spend time with God and say, God, though there's many wicked, though many have bowed the knee, and may we be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Menelgo and take a stand for Christ. And we, may we be willing to still do right, even though our community, even though our country, even though our city, even though our state has turned to so many awful things. May we be a righteous remnant that still stands for truth. While we see the disdain and disinterest, this man who said such kind words in verse 3 to this woman now has no sensitivity, no tenderness. She suffered such grief, such shame, just such awful things. We see in verse 29 that the man came and took her and parted her out to all the coast of Israel. He's trying to get an action in verse 30. And we see he's trying to set a point and saying, look how wicked our country has become, which is true. But what he fails to tell them is he enabled and he allowed this to happen. And we'll see next week how God deals with that. And may I say the sons of the Belial do get dealt with. And may I say, even though it seems like wicked prevails, God is in control and in the end he always wins. When we look at a story like that, it can be very disturbing. We can see some pictures of even our culture involved in this. But this horrible crime wasn't Israel's primary offense. Their primary offense was a result of the nation's failure to establish a government based upon God's moral principles where the law of God was the law of the land. If God's word would have been upheld and his laws and how he orchestrated it. Could you imagine how different of an outcome the story could have been? May I say, what we do does matter. When we stand for truth, justice will prevail. God is in control. May I say today, you may be shocked by the depths of depravity exhibited in this society that lost its moral compass. May I say, righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. It just shows us that even at our best, we're still sinners. We've all done wrong. The Bible says, there is none righteous, no, not one. The Bible says, wherefore is by one man sin into the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for the law of sin, for the wages of that sin is death. All have sinned, the Bible says, and come short of the glory of God. Even at our best, though we may not be like the sons of Belial, if you will, or even this Levite, I can tell you this, even at my best, I've fallen short of God. 
I'm not good enough. I desperately need a Savior. You need a Savior. We have no hope without God. And if nothing else, this story shows us what happens when Jesus is no longer welcome. And if we will not give our life to Christ, we too have no hope of eternal life. The Bible says, for the wage of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave. Aren't you thankful today that even a wicked man like Saul, when Jesus came to him and he accepted him, God forgave him of his sin. Even like Nicodemus, who was a ruler of the Jews, a very religious man, when he came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, Jesus saved him too. May I say Jesus wants to save you, whether you're a good person or whether you in your mind's a bad person. We all are in need of a Savior. I'll never forget the day when I realized that the payment of sin was heavy upon me as a 10-year-old boy, and I needed a Redeemer. I'll never forget the day when I prayed and invited Jesus Christ in my life. The burden of sin was rolled away. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful feeling in my life. When my conscience was cleared, when I confessed my sin to God, He forgave us, He is faithful and just to cleanse our sins from all unrighteousness. It was gone as far as the east was from the west and the depths of the sea. My sins are gone. And Jesus wants to do that for you this morning. Here we have a, a country who saw how compromise paved the way for moral decline. We saw how common courtesy, like hospitality, had been thrown out the window. No grateful people, no kind people. It was every man for himself. We saw a country who became calloused to the wickedness around them. And it just became part of their culture. It wasn't a big deal to them anymore. It didn't stir them up. It didn't, want them to want to do right and to train and lead their kids to do right. And the graphic nature of communication that we see that this Levite did to, to share is much less sometimes what is shown even on, in the media today. And we must realize, God calls us to live different in this culture. Philippians 2 verse 15, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. And that's where it's at. You see, you and I are in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. But we are commanded to shine as lights in the world. May we not just people who talk the talk, but may we be people who walk the walk. May we live the word of God. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. Maybe there's someone today that would say, Pastor Justin, I, wow, that story was troubling, but I did realize today that I need a Savior. I need Jesus in my life. I, I thought I was good enough. I, I thought that maybe I could work my way, or, or I just thought I was too bad. I had no hope. But I realized today that Jesus wants to take my sin from me. He wants to save me from my sin and come in my heart and save me and I could be a child of God and I would love that. Pastor Justin, would you pray for me that I could know that for sure in my life with heads bowed and eyes closed? I will not embarrass you. If we can kind of settle down if we could and not move around at this time. How many would say, Pastor Justin, that's me. 
I need Jesus in my life. Will you slip your hand? I want to pray for you. God bless you. I see that hand. Is there anyone else this morning that would say, Pastor Justin, I need to know for sure I'm going to heaven. I see that hand. God bless you. I see that hand. The Bible says that if you'll call upon the name of the Lord, you can be saved. I want to help you pray a prayer this morning. This prayer is simply you crying out to God in your heart. I'm not going to save you. Jesus will do the saving. But you need to accept him into your heart. Just say something like this. Say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I deserve to go to hell. But I don't want to go there. Lord, I believe and trust in you. And invite you into my heart. I repent of my way of thinking and accept you as my Lord and Savior. Thank you, Jesus. If that's you this morning, if you prayed that prayer, would you just slip up your hand? I want to rejoice with you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I see those hands. Maybe there's someone this morning that would say, Pastor, by the way, if you just prayed that prayer, you could know for sure without a doubt you're going to heaven. Jesus just saved you to the uttermost. Thankful for that. Maybe there's someone this morning that maybe there's been some compromise in your life. And you realize today that that paves the way for moral decline. You say, Pastor Justin, will you help me not to compromise in my life? May I take a true stand for Christ? That you will slip your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. Maybe there's someone today that would say, you know, I've become kind of calloused to the wickedness around me. I've, I've even started embracing a little bit or I've even started accepting it. And I don't want to do that. I want to stand true for God. I want to love the sinner, but I still want to hate the sin. I want to say no to it. Pastor Justin, will you pray for me? If that's you, will you slip up your hand? God bless you. See those hands. Maybe there's someone today that would say, you know, Pastor Justin, I'm carrying a burden today. I'm just overwhelmed. I have a financial need. I have a spiritual, I have a relationship need in my life. I have a work that I have something that's really consuming me and bearing me down. And I would really love for you to pray for me today. If that's you, we slip up your hand. I want to pray for you. God bless you. Wow, all over. Lord, you see the hands. You know the hearts. Lord, you put this chapter in the Bible for us today. Lord, though it's aggravating, it's frustrating, there's so much wrong in this. We see, Lord, that that's not what you wanted for them. You had so much more planned for them. We see a Levite who was out of your will. He was doing his own thing. We see a parent who wasn't taking a stand and wasn't speaking the truth in love. And was actually enabling it more, trying to cover it up. And then we see a, a city that was debauchery, homosexuality, or abusing Lord, adultery, just wickedness that you condemn in Scripture. Paul talks about in Romans. Lord, you did not want that. But yet it caused a horrific ending, all because people were doing right in their own eyes. Lord, may you help us to learn from this story. Lord, whereas the country aren't too far from this. Lord, may we not settle on that. May we realize that righteousness that your grace, that you're more powerful, you're more amazing, and we can actually start to switch that and change that through your help in this community. We sure do love you, Lord. Thank you so much for loving us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. If you could stand to your feet. The piano's playing. May I encourage you to respond? Maybe you are interested in baptism today, or maybe you're interested in following the Lord, and baptism is an outward expression of inward decision. Maybe you're interested in joining the church today. We'd love to talk to you about that. Maybe the Lord touched your heart. Say, you know what? There are some things in my life that I need to get right. Uh, I need to pray, maybe, or maybe have one of our pastors pray with you. Uh, The altar is open, and I want to encourage you today to take a moment or two. We have some time. We have some people getting ready for baptism, and we're excited about that. Maybe you accepted Christ as your Savior, and you say, Pastor Justin, I want to make it public today. I I, I want the church to know about it. We'd love to hear from you as well. Maybe you'd like to make a decision in your heart. May I encourage you? Uh, to do that today. May you stay there and just pray a moment or two in your heart. God, what would you have me do with the message today? What are you doing in my heart? What are you doing in those next to my heart? Will you just pray for them? Allow God to stir in your heart as as he would have you to do. Pray for the many who are making decisions this morning. It's exciting to see God still at work in our lives. Many of you remember those days in your life where God did a work and stirred in your heart and you got on the right path. It's neat to see people making those decisions as well today. Let's pray for them. Thank you so much, Mr. Skinner. Um, a lot of decisions today. We have uh, several for baptism. Of course, is our baptism Sunday. The last few weeks has been. It's been wonderful. Uh, Rose Ott, Emily Ott, Lily Suda, Brady Suda, Taryn Suda, Jay Suda, and Lachey Tate. Pam Lewis settled her salvation on Wednesday night. Got assurance and discipleship and is following Lord in baptism today. And then David Cole as well is following the baptism. And then after baptism, David and Jamie and Dylan will be joining the church as well. They got to go through Starting Point a couple weeks ago. So what a blessing that was. And so as they're getting ready for that, uh, we're going to show the video this morning uh, of some upcoming 
uh, announcements and different things like that, and then we'll uh, watch um, them get baptized. Isn't that exciting? And let's go ahead and show the video at this time. and thank you for joining us today. We hope this morning's service was a blessing to you. Join us tonight at 5 for a sermon from our pastor to the seniors, Brother Mutchler, as well as a special Sunday school teachers meeting, which will be held during the evening service. The Best Years Club will be holding a luncheon tomorrow, August 14th at noon. The cost is $10. Join us here at the church for a special time of food and fellowship. To sign up for this and other Best Years Club activities, check the sign-up sheets on the Welcome Desk. We're gearing up for school to start back up and are planning a back-to-school Sunday on August 27th at 11 a.m. On the special day, we'll have inflatables for the kids and backpack giveaways. If you would like to contribute school supplies, we'll be accepting donations to be given away to public schools in our area. If you are interested in donating to aid and scholarships for Grandview Christian Academy, you can give online at grandviewcares.com forward slash give. Awana will be starting back up on Wednesday, September 6th. Every week, the children will get to play games and get prizes for completing workbooks and scripture memory. Throughout the year, there are fun theme nights where the kids can dress up according to the theme. Awana is for children 3 years old through 5th grade, and there is an annual club fee of $40 or 20 if the child already has a uniform. If this is your first or second time here, we want to answer your questions and get to know you. Please fill out the Connect card in the pew in front of you and bring it to guest services as you exit the auditorium. We would love to meet you and you will receive a gift card. Have a great afternoon and we'll see you tonight at 5. Okay, I know Brother John's getting ready there, and we'll have the baptismal service in just a second. And I hope you know God loves you and this pastor loves you. And I hope you have just a great week. We're excited about what God continues to do here at Grandview Baptist Church. And seniors, I hope you can be a part of the luncheon. I know they're also going to Alaska here in a couple weeks, and, or the Saturday. Should have went tomorrow, and it was probably 30 degrees cooler up there, but... Anyways, you'll have a good time there. Uh, visitors, I hope you know. Guests, I would love to get to know you. I'll be in the back afterwards as well, and that will be uh, a great time. I want to get to know you and just say hello, if you will, and we have a little gift for you. And at this time, Brother John, you ready? Let's see here. There he is. Okay. All right, we have several getting baptized today. This is Brady. Brady, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Yeah. Brady, upon a public profession of your faith in Christ, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, and raised in the likeness of his resurrection. This is Tyvon. Tyvon, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Yes. Praise the Lord. Tyvon, I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection.
This is the shortest one of all of them. This is Jay. <laughs> now you can stand up. It's okay. <laughs> Jay, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Praise the Lord, brother. Jay, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Accepted Christ as your Savior? Praise the Lord. Believe that I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. This is Lachey. Lachey, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Lachey, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Christ as your Savior. Praise the Lord. I baptize you, Emily, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his death. <laughs> oh, you have one more as well? Okay. This is David. He's also going to join the church. So I, wanted, I was going to do him last, but we'll have one more after this. David, have you accepted Christ as your Savior? Yes, I have. Praise the Lord. David, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Buried in the likeness of his death. Raised in the likeness of his resurrection. Jamie, can you raise your hand up? And Dylan. And David and Jamie and Dylan want to join the church today. They've been saved and, of course, baptized. And are excited about serving Lord Jesus. All in favor, say aye. aye. All right. It, it passes. Welcome to the family. And we're looking forward to serving the Lord together, okay? So. Oh, isn't that a good day? And that's one, of the way, that's one of the ways we turn the culture, amen? We share the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we help lead them forward. And, uh, well, thank you so much for being here. Hopefully that was a special blessing to you. I'm going to have Brother Cameron come and dismiss us in prayer, and we'll see you all next time.
And let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful for such a wonderful day. God, thank you for showering us with your blessings. Thank you for the work that you're doing here in our midst here in Beaver Creek, Oregon. And I pray, God, that you would work today, that you'd work in hearts. Thank you for the message that we just heard. And I pray, Lord, that you would sow seeds of, of your gospel, that you would use to disperse uh, your message to our communities. And I pray, Lord, that you'd help us to be the salt and light that we ought to be this week. Guide and direct our thoughts and our actions, and we'll give you the honor and praise for what you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.